relationships. The Bible said this in when he created Adam. He said, Adam, it's not good that you're alone. He made Adam a helpmate, Eve. And all throughout the Bible, you'll find where relationships are vitally important. And Jesus, when he came here on this earth, he had relationships, he had friendships, he had parents, he had uh, uh, siblings, he had friends, he had Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he had close friends, he had 12 uh, apostles or disciples that followed him, and relationships are vitally important. We're going to look at that third series, uh, third uh, uh, week here on this topic of relationships. I want to encourage you, I know Pastor Chris had mentioned it, I want to encourage you, if you uh, have not listened to or uh, invited others to listen to, we did last week online, um, each night last week, we did a, a series on dealing with anxiety and depression. And we've gotten great feedback uh, uh, from those series. And we dealt with what is anxiety the first night, what is depression, and then uh, Kelly Burns. She's a member of our church here. She's a Christian counselor, and she deals mostly with uh, uh, children, teens, and young adults, and she helped us on that third episode on Wednesday evening and did a fabulous job. Um, and then we had uh, week uh, night four, uh, a Christian counselor and pastor from Wooster, Ohio, Harley Snowd helped us and uh, just uh, uh, dealing with it. And then the last night, uh, Friday night, was uh, George Riddell. Several years ago, George Riddell preached here at our church, and um, he, 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 uh, it was in January of 2016. If you remember, he had that long rope and just a, a piece of that rope at the end, he had red tape on it, and he said, this, this is uh, life here, and this is eternity, the rest of that rope. And he said this, if you remember, he said, most of us are living for this piece right here when we ought to be living for eternity. He left, and three weeks after he left uh, here at our church, it was a Sunday at his morning, and uh, he just said something snapped, something happened. He was sitting in his office and um, just began to cry, walked out late for the service. They were singing, it is well with my soul. And he said this, something's not right. It's not well, and he just began to cry. And what he began to go through was an eight-month period of depression. And I asked him to help us in the last series because a lot of people believe this. If I'm going through anxiety and I'm going through depression, then spiritually I must not be right with God. And I want you to know this, church, that's not true. Now, it might be because of something's not right between you and God. It, that might be part of the problem, but that doesn't, that's not every single person that's suffering from mental illness or mental health or anxiety or depression. It's not always equated to their spiritual walk with God. And uh, here's a pastor, he's, he's pastoring, he's, he's faithful to his family, faithful to the Lord, and he went through eight months of, of depression, didn't preach for eight months, really was in bed a lot of that time, couldn't even get out of bed, he was so depressed. And um, I don't want to give away the whole evening. I encourage you to watch each of those nights. And maybe you say, well, I'm not dealing with it. Maybe someone you know is dealing with it, and it would be a help to them if you would share that. And you can find it on Facebook, our website, YouTube. I believe there's several different avenues where you can find those uh, each evening from last week. But today, I want to talk to you about relationships. Acts chapter number 20 
I want to, uh, we're going to look at the last portion of this, uh, a good chunk of this chapter from verse 17 down to verse 38. But I want to I want to start today with just simply reading verses 36, 37, and 38, and then we'll go back and we'll study through uh, the rest of this chapter, uh, the section that we have not read yet. The Bible says this, and when he had thus spoken, speaking of Paul, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they went, they wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. Now, Paul is coming to the place where he's nearing the end of this second missionary journey. And Paul, as you know, as we've studied through, it's taken us about a year now as we've gotten to this place in Acts chapter 20. We studied Paul's first missionary journey. And this second missionary journey, Paul is, is, is going and he's staying. He's, he's at Ephesus now, and he's called the elders together. He tells the elders this, I've, I've got this, this desire to get back to Jerusalem. He wants to get back to Jerusalem before Pentecost. And he gathers these elders together. These are men that he has invested in, men that he has, he has discipled, men that he's poured his life into. And he realizes this, that these are the ones now that are going to uh, uh, stay here at Ephesus and, and uh, support the church and teach the church and protect the church. And we'll get into some of those things here in just a moment. But I want you to see something very special here. I want to look at these three verses, and then I want to explore even deeper into this uh, 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 verse, these verses here in Acts chapter 20. This is a very emotional departure for Paul. And not just Paul, but for the elders and the people here at Ephesus. And Paul has loved these believers. Paul has poured himself into these people. Paul is willing to be beaten and placed in jail. Paul is willing to give of himself. He's willing to sacrifice everything that he has. He even speaks here in this chapter, just above the few verses, that he took nothing from them, meaning this, there was no, there's no pay. He didn't receive uh, any monetary gifts. He, he, he worked. He was a tent maker. He worked. He was doing this because he simply loved these people and he wanted these people, first of all, to get the gospel, to realize that Jesus Christ died for them, that Jesus Christ is offering them everlasting life. And now that they are saved, followers of Christ, he's investing in them, he's discipling them so that they can live a victorious Christian life. I believe this, when you invest that type of relationship into someone else, having to say goodbye like Paul is getting ready to say goodbye, he's saying to them, we're not going to see each other face to face again. There's not going to be another missionary journey where I come to see you. There, there was no internet or, or FaceTime. This was going to be the last time they were going to see Paul face to face. Paul spent time with these people. He's discipled them. He's helped them. The churches here in Ephesus have been established because of Paul's investment. I want you to see something here. Again, I, I want us to look at these three verses and then really dig in after we see these verses. But I, wanna, I want you to look at something here because I want you to see 
signature of a healthy, balanced relationship. I think all of us are looking for relationships, but I want you to know this. There are some unhealthy relationships. You you know that person that you just say, you see their number come up or you see them coming towards you and you just think, I don't have anything left to give. And I don't even mean money-wise. I just mean emotionally. They just consume everything about me. And when you get around them, when they leave, you just feel like I'm spent. And every time I get around them, I just feel like I, I give and give and give and they're, they're very needy. And, and, and when they leave, you... Uh, you, you just feel like there's nothing left. So when, they're, when they're, you see them coming, you do everything you can to avoid them. That's not a healthy relationship. I want you to see something here in verse number 36. The Bible says, when he had thus spoke and he kneeled down, he prayed with them all. Now, please don't miss this. If you miss this, you're gonna miss the entire rest of this message. But I want you to see something here. The signature or the signs of a healthy, balanced relationship, number one, it's a spiritual relationship. It involves prayer. It involves a relationship where you and that person are right with God. Here Paul is coming to the end. He's getting ready to leave this place. And what do they do together? They come together together and they pray together. Every relationship, and all of us have relationships, but if you want a balanced, healthy relationship, first of all, that relationship must be a spiritual relationship. It must be one that connects you and that person to God, that brings you and that person into the presence of God. Now, listen to me, it doesn't matter today if you're, if you're dating, if you're married, if you're a parent with a child, a child with a parent, a, a, a friend, Christian to Christian, a church member. Every uh, healthy, balanced relationship must have this ingredient, and that is this. It's spiritual. I, I'm afraid this. Today's world, we, our relationships are so surface. There's no depth to them. And, and even if we do get a little bit deep, it's only so deep. But here we find where there is a deep emotion, there is a deep spiritual relationship. Their relationship brings them to a place where they're found kneeling and praying together. You know what they're recognizing? God, we need you in this relationship. Every single relationship you have, if you desire a healthy relationship, you must acknowledge that you need God in that relationship. You cannot have a healthy relationship outside of God. You you can't have a, a relationship, a healthy marriage outside of God being the center of that marriage. You can't have a healthy friendship without God being the center of that friendship. And the first thing that Paul did here with this church, these elders here in Ephesus, as he's getting ready to leave, he showed us something here. And please don't miss this. There's a spiritual relationship here. Now, secondly, I want you to see something as well. Now we're built upon the spiritual relationship. The Bible tells us this in verse number 37, and when they wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. I want you to see something else here. There's an emotional relationship. There's true, genuine care. 
And this care goes both ways. There's a relationship that brings them to the place where they're kneeling and they're praying. Their their relationship with God is what it ought to be. And there's also a healthy emotional relationship that we find here. I want you to see as well in in, uh, thirdly, in verse number 38, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see him uh, see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. I want you to see, thirdly, there's a physical relationship. In every balanced, healthy relationship, there's spiritual, emotional, and physical. Now, that physical relationship could mean different depending upon the relationship that you have. But that physical relationship is a relationship where you're with them. Jesus had a spiritual, emotional, a physical relationship with his disciples. Now, don't don't look at that physical relationship as something that's perverse or wicked. I'm talking about a healthy relationship. You know, one of the things that is, is hurt us over these last several months and that I hear from people all the time is, I want to hug someone. I want to I, I want to shake someone's hand. I, as someone this morning, I'm I'm looking at their sticker. We put those stickers on there, and I'm looking at their sticker, and they had all three. I don't know what to do. You know, the first thing we want to do to someone is shake their hand, or someone that we love, give them a hug, or or you know, fist bump. What's that all about? Fist bump. You know. When when there's a healthy relationship, there's a physical connection. Now, with a marriage, there may be a deeper physical connection, and it's very important to have that physical connection, but there's a physical connection in every relationship you have, and that's healthy. It's healthy. It's healthy to want to be with another human being, to be beside another human being. It's healthy to to spend time with another human being. This week, I've got a couple guys who are going to go golfing this week. And and I tell you, I love the golf, but I I, I love the golf more with someone else in the cart. I don't want to just go out by myself. Because when I get that hole-in-one, no one's going to believe me. I want someone to enjoy that hole-in-one with me. I like that person sitting next to me and talking to that person and fellowshipping with that person. It's a healthy relationship when it's spiritual and emotional and it's physical. Now, if we're out of balance in any of these, the relationship becomes unhealthy. In a marriage, the relationship of the physical is very important, but if it's all there is and there's no emotional and there's no spiritual, the physical can become very frustrating. If there's emotional but no physical, the, the emotional is very frustrating because you're lacking something. If, if it's emotional and physical but not spiritual as a Christian, it becomes very frustrating because something's lacking. And we need to work on all three of these in every relationship that we have. It's important to our life to have friendships that have value. But listen to me here, please, this morning. It's important to the Christian to have friendships that have eternal value. It's very important that we have relationships that have value. But to the believer, to the Christian, our friendships need to have eternal value to them. I 
as I read this passage of Scripture, this is a very emotional passage of Scripture for Paul and for those that loved Paul. They're having to say goodbye. I personally, I don't like goodbyes. My dad was in the ministry, pastored churches. What he would do is he would go and and uh, we moved every couple years. He'd go to a place. We started churches in Michigan and, and Wyoming and Pennsylvania and just, just all over. And, and um, he'd go to a place. He'd start a church. And, and once that church got established and up and running, he'd, he'd leave and, and we'd pack up and we'd go to a, another, another church, another town and start a church there. And you know what I, in the, when I was young, it didn't bother me as much, but as the older I got, as you get into school and, in, and especially when you get into high school, I, uh, my eighth grade year, we, we left Philadelphia and went over to New Jersey and, and I had to say goodbye to all of our friends. And, and just when you start establishing relationships with people, you have to say goodbye. And so you know what I learned to do? I learned just don't get too close. You know why? Because I didn't want to say goodbye. Because goodbyes are so difficult. They're so hard. I think about these goodbyes. I think about goodbyes. I probably, because of my upbringing, I think about goodbyes too much. I, I think about the, the goodbyes at, at certain times. I'll think about uh, and pr- pr- try to prepare and try to, to, to get things in place because I, I know one day that uh, 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 I'm, I'm not going to be here on this earth and my family's gonna have to say goodbye and I'm gonna have to say goodbye and I, I want my wife to be prepared. I want her to be taken care of. I, I, I want her, when she has to say goodbye to me, I want her to be able to, to, to have her needs met. Paul finishes this message, and he says to them, we're not going to be together face-to-face any longer. In this, this series of relationships, we saw first week, we saw relationships with others. Last week, we saw relationships with the church. And this week, I want us to look at your relationship with God. Please stay with me. I know it's hot. I, I actually, I, if this helps you, last week I had 11 pages of notes. This week I only have four. And I just started page three. So that ought to encourage you. I want you to see here, look with me in verse number 22. Paul is called the elders in Ephesus together. His goal, his desire is to get to Jerusalem. He says this in verse number 22, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. Now, he's not bound as in change. He's not, he's not being taken by the law to, uh, to Jerusalem. He's, he's willingly going, but what he's saying here is this, the spirit of God is telling me to go, and I'm going to be obedient to the spirit. He says this, though, the second half of this verse, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And look what his response is, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, 
so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. I want you to see, first of all here, I'm gonna give you four quick things here this morning, and I want you to understand something here. Your relationship with God. Now, first of all, the relationship with God only begins by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says in his word, he, he implies that he himself is like that, that door. There's one door on the ark. The only way to safety, the only way to get on that ark that Noah built was to go through that door. And Jesus said this, I am that door. There's no way to eternal safety. There's no way to God outside of Jesus Christ. Religion can't save a person. Good works can't save a person. Giving of money can't save a person. You might be a good moral person, and none of those things will save you. The only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The only way a person could be clean is through Jesus Christ. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells us you are now in Christ. And when God sees you, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you in Christ. But now that Paul is saved, and now that these elders are walking with God, they're born again, they're Christians, they're followers of Jesus, I want you to see here this relationship with God is a relationship of faith. Now, please don't miss this. And now, behold, go, I go bound into the Spirit unto Jerusalem. And look what he says, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Oh, hear me today, Christian. Every single one of us, every single one of us ought to have a relationship with God of faith. None of us know what the next 30 minutes is going to bring in our life. It was a Sunday afternoon uh, uh, on on, uh, 13 or so years ago, I think, 13 years ago, on a Sunday afternoon, I got a a phone call. My dad had preached at his church that morning, and and that my my, uh, brother had called, and we were at church, and he couldn't get through to me. He called my wife, and and my wife uh, uh, came and had someone come and get me, and I'll never forget, I walked into that nursery there at our church, and my wife is in tears, and she says, your dad is dead. I said, what are you talking about? She said, he's gone. I I, I said, "What, what are you talking about? She said, your brother just called. Your dad is dead. Just like that. I'll never forget my father-in-law called me. We're at a basketball game in Georgia, and Jacob was playing a basketball game and for school, and I was sitting there. My phone rang, and it was my father-in-law. He doesn't call me unless he needs something, so I knew it was important. So I answered the phone. I walked out of that noisy gym, and He said to me this, he said, Jeremy, Brian's dead. Brian's their son, Michelle's only sibling, 32 years old. I said, what? 
he, he said, Ryan's dead. I just froze. I, I, I said, how am I going to tell my wife? I, I, I couldn't go back in and tell her at a basketball game. I, I, I held this in. I, we drove separately. We drove home, and I remember telling her, kids went inside the house, and I said, I want you to stay out here on the, on the front lawn, and we stood in the front lawn, and hardest thing I ever said to my wife. I said, Brian's dead. She just collapsed there in my, my arms. Life is so quick. The Bible says it's like a vapor. We're not guaranteed the next moment. And hear me, Christian, so often if we're not careful, we're living for this life. We're so consumed with the things of this world. It, it, the, the, the things that drive us and the things that motivate us aren't always the spiritual, aren't always the eternal. So often we, we live our life and we need to know what tomorrow's going to bring and we need to know what, what uh, uh, tomorrow's gonna be like and we make decisions based upon the information we know. And, and so often, Christian, if we're not careful, we live a life where we have to be in charge and we have to know what it's going to bring and we have to know what the consequences are and we have to know what all the information is. But Paul is living a life and showing us here a life of faith. Paul says this, the spirit of God, I'm bound in the spirit. I'm being obedient to God. I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He says this, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, but I know this, that I'm going to be obedient when the spirit leads me. Now, several weeks ago, we talked about the spirit and being led by the spirit of God. And I hope you haven't forgotten about that. I hope that you are, are living right with the Lord and walking in the spirit. And there are going to be times that there's going to be things in your life that you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. I think the last couple months here in this nation and in our world and in our lives, we've come to the place where we've realized we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Everything that we think is normal, everything that we have, have planned, everything that we think we've prepared for in a moment can get turned upon its head. But oh, listen to me, Christian, we don't have to fear because there's a God that is in control. There is a God that is faithful. There's a God God that can be trusted, and there's a God that we must have a relationship where we have a relationship of faith, trusting him, walking in the spirit. This is one of total trust. Do you ever remember that game as a kid where they tell you to stand up, don't turn around, and just fall backwards? You ever do that? Just fall backwards, and somebody's going to catch you. How many of you have played that game? Just trust. Yeah, one time, and I fell, so I didn't do it again. Total trust. I mean, you just, all right, and you fall. Some that do it, they have to look. Some, they... 
Here, this is total trust. This is a belief that God is in control and that he is going to sustain you and that he is going to hold you up. And no matter what may befall you, no matter what happens, there is God. And he is to be trusted. How's your relationship with God in the area of faith? You know what that means? That God can control all the events and he's in control when things seem out of control at your job. He's in control. When you get news in your marriage or in your home, a sickness or or a situation that you just think, I don't understand, I don't know the outcome, you have a relationship with God, one of faith, where you can say this, this is what the Spirit is leading, this is what God is doing, and my part is just total surrender. You say, well, that just sounds foolish. No, my friend, there's never foolishness when you're trusting God. Faith. Foolishness would be this, not to trust God. Foolishness would be this, worry and figure it out yourself and go through all of the emotions of trying to to get it right. My wife, I don't know if others of you are this way. My wife thinks that um, if, if Chip and Joanne can do it, Jeremy and Michelle can do it. How hard is it? Look, they make it look easy. They can redo a whole house in 30 minutes. We can do this. Every time I try to do plumbing, I end up having to do drywall work in the floor underneath, the ceiling, every time. And I've told her, I can't do plumbing. I don't know how. I try. You know what she always says? I'd like you to do this, or I'd like you to do that, or I can. I know you can do this. She thinks that I can do whatever Chip can do. I recognize I can't. You know, sometimes, Christian, if we're not careful, we think that we can live our life. We think we can make the decisions. We think that we have the answers, and we don't but God does. How's your relationship with God when it comes to faith? I want you to see this secondly, verse number 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course. Look what he says here. Don't miss this. Two words, with joy. Now I'm talking to all you miserable people today. I know we can trust God. This life's awful, but guess what? We got eternity to look for. I can't wait. He never said live this life miserable because you got eternity to look forward to. Paul said, I'm going to do this with joy. I'm living this life with joy. I'm determined that no matter what befalls me in Jerusalem, I'm going to trust the Lord, but none of these things move me. What he's saying is this, I'm not going to put my my thoughts, I'm not going to put my emotions in what could go wrong and what might not go my way and what I don't like. None of those things are going to move me. I'm, I'm determined. I'm going to live my life for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to finish this course with joy. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing, Christian, if you said this, Lord, I am going to have a relationship with you, one of faith and one of joy. No matter what you do, I'm going to enjoy this journey. No matter what you give me, I'm going to enjoy this journey. 
In order to do that, number one, you must realize who you live for. You don't live for your own self. You don't live for your desires. Listen, he says once again, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. You know what he's saying is? My life isn't about me. My life is lived for Jesus Christ. So no matter what comes my way, I'm going to understand and realize this is for him. This is because of him, and I'm going to live for him. Oh, Christian, if you would get that today, no matter what you're dealing with in your life, you might see it as pain. You might see it as sorrow. You might see it as a consequence. You might see it as a burden. But if Jesus Christ is center of your life and he's allowing that, you can have joy. You don't have to just exist in this life. You don't have to just say, you know what, this life is horrible, but when I get get to eternity, then life is gonna be better. Oh, listen to me, life is going to be better when we're in eternity, but you can have joy right here. Will you determine to have joy? Listen, verse number 25, and now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. That there was the statement that in the last verse of this chapter, they were so sorrowful over. Paul says, we're not going to see each other anymore. But he said this, I'm determined to have joy. You can experience great loss and have to say goodbye to people that you love and you can still have joy in life because your joy is not found in circumstances. Your joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Your joy is not found in your financial situation. Your joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Your joy isn't found in the material things that you have. They are found in Jesus Christ. I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Listen to me, if you're living for the things of this world, everything is disposable. Don't get hooked on anything. That car that you have to have, guess what? It's going to break down. My wife had a, had a washer. She told me, I, this is the washer of all washers. This is the one. I've researched it. I've, I, I've looked at it. If you are a family of seven and you do 600 loads of laundry a week, this is the washer you must have. And guess what I did? Because I'm spiritually, emotionally, and physically attached to her. I got her that washer. A year and a half later, she said, it's broke. I said, well, I'm going to have to get you another one. I don't want that one. There's a new one out there that you have to have. <laughs> Guess what? You get attached to something. Material things are going to be gone. And look what he says here as well. Look in verse number 26 and 27. Wherefore, I take you to record that this day that I am pure, from the blood of all men. You know what he's saying? I've shared Christ with everyone. There's not a person that's gonna stand and say, you didn't tell me of Jesus. I'm pure of the blood of all men. For, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know what Paul is saying? I can have this joy. I can have this joy because I realize who I'm living for. I can have this joy in verse 25, even though there may be loss and having to say goodbye. And I can have this joy because he's determined to live a consistent life. He's living that life for Christ. Hear me, church. I'm turning my page. I'm on page four. Stay with me. Hear me, please. 
If we keep our eyes on this world and the things of this world, it's impossible to have joy. But if you keep your eyes upon Christ in our purpose, in his plan for your life, anyone can have joy. You see, if you say, well, I need so much money before I can be happy, guess what? Most of us will never have that. If I have to have a certain number of square feet in my house before I'm happy, guess what? Some of us then can never be happy. If my uh, spouse has to look a certain way or be a certain way in order for me to be happy, then guess what? Michelle's the only one that can be happy. No, if, if we put it upon material things and things in this world, we'll never have joy. But here what Paul is living a consistent life, when you live for Christ, all of us can have joy. Every single person here under the tent, outside the tent, you can have a life of joy if you'll find it in the person of Jesus Christ and determine that I'm going to live a life for him. One of faith, a life of joy. How's your relationship with God when it comes to joy? Are you content in what he's given you? Are you content, content in what the life he's allowing you to live? Look with me in verse number 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He's speaking to the elders here. He's saying, your responsibility is feed the church. For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He said this, be careful. And this is true even today. This has been true throughout all the church history. There's wolves that want to come in, and they don't care about the sheep. They just want to destroy. He said, also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. You know what we see? There's going to be a fight against the things of God. But Paul said this, our relationship with God, it ought to be one of faith, it ought to be one of joy, and it ought to be one of diligence. Protecting those you oversee. Getting into the word. And Paul didn't say any way to protect these other than this getting into the word, trusting what the word of God says, believing, being led by the spirit of God. He wasn't talking about if somebody comes in the church, go, go, go have a fight with them. Punch him in the nose. That's not what he said. Get back to the word of God. Ground people in the word of God. Every church needs to be grounded, have overseers, elders, pastors that are grounding them in the word of God, teaching them the word. But I would say this to you, church as well, and all of our relationships, our relationships ought to be one that those that we're overseeing, we ought to be grounding them in the word of God. If your marriage is going to make it, it's going to be, have to be grounded in the word of God. Oh, hear me, parents, listen to me as you are raising your children. It's wonderful to raise balanced children. You can raise a child that physically can, can just do all kinds of things and dunk a basketball and hit a home run and, and run in track and field. And all those things are, are, are vitally important. But your responsibility, even more importantly, is to ground them in the word of God. 
teach them to know God. Teach them to love God. Teach them to live for God. So often, if we're not careful, we put the responsibility on someone else. But it's your responsibility in your home to train your kids and teach your kids what's right and what's wrong. We're living in a world today that's just stretching them apart and, 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 and what was right is now wrong and what was wrong is now right and it's causing much confusion. And there's a generation saying, I don't know what's right and wrong anymore. And I'll say to you, what's right is what God says is right and what's wrong is what God says is wrong. And we ought to teach people where it is and how to have faith and how to believe it and how to live it and how to have that relationship that God desires to have with them. We need to ground them in the word of God. Use it to protect them. There's a battle for your soul. And hear me, church, there's a battle for your family. There's a battle for this church. and We need to stay diligent. We need to stay right with God. Listen to me, I, I know I've been, but it is about relationships. Husbands, you need to be faithful to your wives. Wives, you need to be faithful to your husbands. Listen to me, church member, you need to be faithful to God. Faithful, diligent. Stay in the word. I want you to see here, this is with great emotion. This is, look, look at me in verse number 30. Also, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And Paul says this, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn you every night and day with tears. This is something of diligence. Oh, listen to me, when's the last time in tears? You, you faithfully labored and faithfully taught your young people, your children. When's the last time you in tears opened the Bible with your spouse or with someone that you're dating or someone that you're in a relationship with in tears, pleading with them to know who God is? This was not just something casual that was taking place. This was with great emotion. And lastly, I want you to see something. Verse number 35. I have showed you all things. How that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Lastly, I want you to see this. The relationship is one of sacrifice. We can live this relationship with God because of sacrifice because that's what Jesus Christ did for you. He gave. That's your sacrifice to God. Does he have all of you? Does he have you on Sunday morning and that's it? Or does he have all of you? Does he have every part of you? Is there a talent that he's given you that you're holding back? Is there an ability that he's given you that you're holding on to? Does God have all of you? Are you living a life of sacrifice to the Lord? Because Jesus himself said this, it's more blessed to give 
than to receive. Yesterday, I talked to the Dissop family. It was the anniversary of Jody's death. Jody was four as a Dissop, 42, 41. She was 41 years old when she finally breathed her last breath here on this earth and opened her eyes in heaven. A year ago today, a year ago today is the anniversary of Susan Sears. Have you remember Susan? She was the one that used to sit up here. And uh, I just thought during the song service, she was really getting into it, praising the Lord. And then I realized she was signing. She'd come at Faithful every week. She was on, she was on vacation, I believe, out west. Is that right, George? Out west, you guys were. I never forget, I got a phone call. I had just, I had just recently gotten here and in the, to pastor, and I got the phone call that she was, they were out west, and she went to, I think it was an emergency room if I got my story right, and they said, you need to go back and see your doctor. She had cancer, and she fought a, boy, she fought a, a tough, tough fight, didn't she? Whew. She lived a life of faith up until she closed her eyes here on this earth. I mean, she'd tell me, I'd visit her or talk to her, and she'd say, I believe the Lord can heal me. She lived a life of faith. She would, as far as I know, maybe George in her dark, dark nights, but as far as I know, every time I spoke to her, she always lived one of, I'm trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. A year ago, she took her last breath. And I could say this, that all of these areas that we looked at today, I believe they really not only are a life that Paul lived in his relationship to his God, I could say this, that there's examples in our church, examples like Suzanne, who lived the same way. Now, I've told you this before, and it's just us and whoever's watching on the internet. One of Suzanne's greatest prayers, I mean, every time I talk to her, every time, she'd say, pray for my Pray for my kids, pray for my kids, pray for my kids. Pray for my daughter, pray for my son. I don't want them to get bitter at God. I don't want them to, to, to get upset with God. And she said specifically for her daughter, she said, Stephanie, I want Stephanie to get into church and I want her to serve the Lord. That was her prayer. Oh, three, maybe a month ago, five weeks ago, we were under this tent. Stephanie and her husband walked up here and joined the church. Now, it's not like we haven't seen them. I think I can count on one hand in a year how many Sundays they've missed. I don't think I need the whole hand either. 
And Suzanne would say this, I just, I want my funeral, I want my funeral to be one where my family hears my heart. I, I want to speak to them at my funeral. And I thought she meant like through her testimony of her life. And she says, no, I want to speak to them at my funeral. I said, well, how are you going to do that? And she says, well, you're going to get me a video camera and you're going to bring it over to my house and you're going to record me and you're going to play it at my funeral. And you didn't say no to Suzanne. You just said, yes, ma'am. That's what we're going to do. Right, George? And that's what we did. I want you to hear a year later the testimony that Suzanne said and her desire for her family and her church and really anyone that would hear that testimony. I want you to play that. Would you do that? Hello, my precious family and friends. Um, sorry if I'm freaking you out because if you're watching this video, I'm in heaven. And, uh, but I want to share some things with you that the Lord had laid on my heart and uh, a long time ago when I, well, almost three years ago, I got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And most of you know my story and the battle. Um, but early on, I just had this feeling that this was something I was supposed to do. So I'm doing it. And uh, again, I'm sorry if it freaks you out, but I just want to take this opportunity to let you all know how much you mean to me, how much your love and support has meant to me, uh, but most importantly, how much and how important your souls mean to me. And um, so, as you know, uh, this has been a battle, but early on, I mean, the Lord was right there with me, uh, leading me through all of this. And um, hopefully his light shined through because he's my rock and he has helped me through this. And I know that everyone in this room at some time in their life will experience some type of difficulty or hardship that you want to get through. And I'm just here to tell you that Jesus is here to help you. Um, I don't know what I'd do without my faith. I don't know what I'd do without Him. So if you will indulge and listen for just a minute, I would really appreciate that. Um, you know, the gospel is really simple. Most of us have heard something living, growing up here in America that about God and Jesus, but salvation is such a, a, a simple thing. Um, many will say the difference between true salvation is about 18 inches, which is between your head and your heart, because many people believe in their heads um, God exists. He sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus was a good example for us. That might be how you feel. But the truth is, we're sinners. God is holy. And he made a way for us to bridge the gap between heaven 
and us here and to make a way for us to live forever with him. And that's through Jesus. He needed a perfect sacrifice. That's what it's all about. Jesus came to die for us. And if you grasp that, it's such, it's a huge thing that the holy God of the universe who created everything would love us, love me, love you enough to do that? To send his only son to die on a cross? To take my sin? To take my lies? To take my pride? To take, oh, I don't want to get into all of the bad choices and sin of my life. We all have those. But he took all of those on the cross for us. That's a huge thing. Um, and by dying on that cross and taking our sins, buried with him, and then risen on the third day, we all celebrate Easter, risen on the third day because he conquered death. There is no other savior, no other way. It's Jesus, and he's the only one who's conquered death. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. Isn't that amazing? Oh, well, now comes your part. You need to believe and receive him as Savior. And it's the best thing I ever did. I didn't live a perfect life by any means. It's been up and down and, you know, on and off and but he's been there the whole time, forgiving me every step of the way, his grace and his mercy. And then when I stepped into this challenge, um, I, I, I'm just amazed that, I mean, he just never leaves or forsakes me. And many of you that he's used, and you may not even know that he's used you to encourage me sending me cards and texts and phone calls and bringing meals and just encouraging words. That's God. That's how he works. That's how he, he, he uses each of us to, to help each other. And I just really felt like I needed to share that clearly with you. Many of you have talked about my faith as I've gone through this, and I may or may not have had a chance to really share the gospel, but I'm sharing it now because it's the most important thing you could ever do in your entire life. And your eternity depends on that decision. Where, where do you spend eternity? With God or not? Um, depends on your decision. But the other thing I wanted to share with you is that about a year ago, now, God doesn't speak to me in dreams. I don't know if he's ever done it before. Um, sometimes he does, and I hear other people's testimonies. But this particular night, it was in June, a year ago, I woke up, and I had this dream that I had woken up from and a poem that I knew I needed to write. Now, I've dabbled in a little poetry here and there, but never really saved anything that I did. But... This one was God saying, write this down. And I got up and I wrote it down 
and within minutes I had this poem and I feel like I'm meant to share that with you. God gave this to me. So if you will indulge, and I do believe there's copies of this that will be available for you, but this is how I felt a year ago, go, you know, going through the struggle and everything, but still knowing that God is there lifting me and caring for me. It's called The Gardener's Hand. One day I met a gardener as he looked across my land. He smiled at me with eyes of love and a shovel in his hand. I thought my land was nice, so I wondered what he'd do. Sure, I had some barren parts, but I'd learned to love them too. As we walked along, he stopped and felt the soil beneath his feet. He took a shovel and started to dig, and soon I felt so incomplete. But again, I saw his eyes of love and a smile on his face, and suddenly I felt no fear and was flooded by his grace. I didn't know why he kept digging, deeper, deeper still. Though painful, I found myself at peace. I just knew it was his will. I asked him many times, Oh, gardener, will you rest? He'd smile at me and touch my hand and say, I want what's best. Gradually, I felt growing in the places that he dug. Colors beautiful began to sprout, their joy around me like a hug. Then I understood the gardener knew best, the way to make me shine, to bring glory and praise to him alone for his wonderful work divine. He's still working, not quite finished. He promised he would stay to complete the work he started, then take me home with him someday. So he doesn't give up no matter what you're going through. And I just wanted to share that with you because that it meant a lot to me. I knew that what I was going through wasn't comfortable. I didn't like it at times. I questioned at times, but that's okay. He was still there reassuring me. And I just want to reassure you, um, I have no doubt I'm in heaven. Um, and that's a promise that he gives us. In 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. He doesn't want us guessing. Will I go to heaven? Have I been good enough? Did I do enough? He wants you to know, and you can know through Christ. Believe, receive, and you never have to doubt, and you have that assurance no matter what you go through, no matter what your loved ones go through. So I just love you all. The hardest thing is to say goodbye. But remember me. Cry if you miss me, but don't cry for me because my pain is gone. And God is good and he's always good. I love you all. Thank you. How's your relationship with God? Is it one of faith, one of joy, one of diligence, one of sacrifice? Father, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would just infiltrate our hearts, 
dig deep. Lord, we've seen over these three weeks relationships with others. We've seen relationships with the church. We've seen relationships now with you. And I pray if there's any area of our life that you want us to grow, that we'd receive that, we'd allow that, that we would have great faith and great joy. We would be diligent in our walk with you and our walk in your word. And we'd live a life of sacrifice. Lord, even more importantly, I pray that if there's someone here today that needs to trust Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray today that they would trust you. So work in our hearts, I pray. Do a work that only you can do, and we're yielded to what you desire. May our relationship with you be what you desire it to be. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue with our invitation, we've been challenged today in our relationships to have faith. Are you exercising your faith in this trying and difficult world? And the challenge today is that we would rise up and we as believers, the ones who have the truth, would exercise our faith. We're also challenged today to live a joyful life. It's hard in all the things that are going on to live a life that is joyful, that is impactful in the people around us. But would you determine today that you would live a life of faith, of joyful faith? That this week, as you go out amongst the store shoppers, as you go to work, as you are at home, that people would say about you that you are joyful. You are their source of joy. You are their source of happiness. That you bring it to them and you can tell them that it's because of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want to follow up with what we just heard. Maybe you have never begun your relationship with Jesus Christ who is our source of faith, who is our source of hope, who is our source of joy. This morning, you can receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. This morning, you can put your faith and trust in him and know that you will spend eternity in heaven with him. And it's as easy as you just heard. It's by praying and accepting the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ gave to us on the cross. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute. This morning, if you are one of those that are sitting here and you'd say, Pastor Chris, I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but this morning, I want to do that. If you're listening online and you're watching this video and you're saying, this morning, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's as easy as this. If you would pray this prayer in your heart and believe it, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you would say today, God, today I realize that I need a relationship with you. I understand that my sin is what separates me from you. And now I know that Jesus paid my penalty so that I can spend eternity with you. Today, I repent of my sin, and I accept the gift of salvation that Jesus provided for me through his death on the cross. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me 
and paid the price so that I can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is there somebody today that you'd lift your hand and you'd say, that's me. This morning, I came here without a relationship with Jesus Christ. But this morning, I'm leaving with a relationship with Jesus Christ because today I put my faith and trust in him and I prayed that prayer. Is there somebody here this morning, you'd lift your hand and you say, that's me? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Father, you saw the hands. And Father, we pray that this morning that you will work in our hearts to help us to be a source of joy in our world. Lord, that joy does not come from us. It comes from you through us. Father, I pray that this morning that those who raise their hands saying that they received you as their Savior, that this morning that they would begin to experience the joy that only you can provide. Lord, thank you for meeting us here in this place. We ask that you will bless our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go, uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the